Hi, I'm your host, Rowan Tonkin, and welcome to Being Planful, the show for FP&A leaders and planning experts. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Being Planful. Today, I'm joined by Howard Dresner of Dresner Advisory Services. Welcome to the show, Howard. Thanks, Ron. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, not a problem at all. Well, it's, uh, it's an interesting time in the world, and uh, we've got some exciting stuff to be talking about. Um, certainly the impact of COVID on uh, the planning slash EPM space, as you call it. Uh, before we dive in, I wanted to, uh, wanted to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself to our audience. Yeah, sure. So I've been in this market segment for as long as I, most of my life, actually, <laughs> as it turns out. So I've been covering things like business intelligence and performance management for quite some time. I spent 13 years at Gartner, where I was a research fellow, and I was the chief strategy officer at another EPM company that no longer exists. And since then, uh, for 13 years now, I've uh, led Dresdner Advisory Services, and we focus on primary research for performance management, business intelligence, data science, machine learning, and related areas. Excellent. And I know you publish a really amazing annual report and you do a monthly survey. So we're going to dive into some of that information today for our, for our listeners and, and viewers. Um, so in terms of um, you know, why, why we asked you to be here, it's because of that deep expertise. I mean, you've seen a lot of change in this space over the years. You, uh, I'm sure you've been through some of these types of situations before, probably not as, uh, hopefully not as impactful in terms of our way of life changes, but uh, in terms of the, uh, the impact on the economy, it's, it's been um, really interesting and in how businesses have responded. So what we wanted to do today was, was deep dive into that uh, and talk about some of the market trends that you've been seeing. So I know you've got some, some slides to prepare and for yeah. those... Uh, to share, sorry, and, and for those listening, we will try and call out some of the slides, but uh, don't forget to watch on video too if, if you have a moment. Um, so, so firstly, Howard, I know you do a, a monthly survey. How can, how can people interact and engage with that survey? So we do a number of surveys, but most recently we've been having or uh, hosting a, a COVID-specific survey, so covidbusinessimpact.com. And you can go there and fill out the survey, and it'll actually give you instant analysis. So you'll actually see how you compare to your peers in the industry around business impact and a number of other factors. And we'll continue to collect this data, well, I guess as long as uh, the coronavirus is with us and the pandemic is uh, in place. So who knows how long that's going to be? Yeah. Well, it's certainly valuable information, and I look forward to, uh, to sharing that to, to the audience today with you. Um, so for those that, that want to get that analysis and understand, uh, understand how their, their industry is being impacted, uh, feel free to go and take Howard's survey. Uh, as we jump into some of this data, I, I do want to mention that, um, you know, some of the ways that, that different organizations are categorizing the, the impact and the phases of, of this challenge and the pandemic uh, is different. Uh, one of the ways that we're going to be talking about it today and uh, we've been using uh, this, this analogy here at Planful uh, really since the middle of March is, is this three-phased approach. The, the first phase that we saw was what we called the ambush. Uh, everyone felt that this was a big surprise. The impact was huge. You didn't know where the impact was coming from. You, you couldn't really see the forest from the trees and, and everyone was really trying to 
quickly assess triage and make really fast business decisions to, to really protect themselves quite quickly. Uh, the second phase that we, we see occurring, and some businesses are in this and others aren't yet in, in this, is, is what we call the regroup. Uh, and that's where people are making more short and, and midterm decisions based on what they've learnt about their business through that ambush phase. And, and the final phase is what we call recovery. Uh, I don't think there's many businesses in the recovery phase, except maybe technology like we're using today. You know, uh, I know that that, that industry has seen a boon um, and it's probably not even called recovery, it's called thriving. Um, but uh, there's not many businesses out there that, that are thriving, so we won't talk about that too much. Um, but in, in those distinct phases, we, we have seen some changes and it, of course it is really... Um, really industry specific and, and that's something that we'll talk a little bit today as, as we go through. So Howard, why don't you tell us some of the market trends that, that you've been seeing? Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, once again, we started surveying the marketplace back in March. Once it became evident that the coronavirus was going to be around for a while and was going to have a significant impact. So just looking at three months worth of data at uh, April, May and June, just looking at the business impact of COVID-19. And we can see that, you know, to some degree, uh, things are looking perhaps a little bit better. To your point, maybe they're starting, folks are starting to regroup and things are starting to stabilize a little bit. So you can see, you know, the bars on the right. So less uh, organizations are saying that they're temporarily closed down. And if you go to the far right, those that say they sustained uh, loss of revenues of customers is maybe going down slightly. Certainly it went down a bit in May and it's stabilizing, but you can see it's almost at the 60% level. Yeah, so a drop in 7% from April through to June. So not a huge shift, uh, obviously, no. um, uh, but, but in, an important shift nonetheless, and, and we hope to see that trend to continue. Yeah, so we'll see, obviously, as we progress through June and into July, if uh, that does improve, we're, we're hopeful. But at least we have three data points here. So we can suggest maybe things are starting to settle down a little bit. Yeah. And then this one's a little bit more hopeful, just uh, since March asking about the impact on budgets and projects. And you can see the impact of the uh, light blue shaded bar sort of peaking in May. And then it's starting to decrease. Now, granted, it's still around uh, 66 67% of organizations are saying that their budgets and projects have been impacted. And that impact, by the way, can vary. It could be you know, very simple, it could just be delays, or it could be cancellations. We have more data on that um, as well, but still some signs of improvement. Absolutely, and I think uh, you know, for those that are still in the annual operating plan, I think you feel like you've probably been in the annual operating plan since March. Uh, as many organizations are just continuously changing those plans as we learn more and, and as we start to shift in those, in those distinct phases. And then specifically impact on budgets. And so you can see uh, going back to April, a uh, significant number, almost 50% said budgets were reduced. And then you can see in May, it's starting to calm down a bit. And then uh, here in June, uh, there are more folks uh, saying that budgets are unchanged from uh, from last year. So once again, more evidence that organizations are starting to come to terms uh, with the coronavirus and its impact upon the business. And to your point, maybe at the point where they're starting to regroup. 
Mm, yeah, absolutely. And then we look at employment impact. And no surprise, if you look at the bars on the left, yeah, a lot of people are working from home, unless you're in specific industries, if you're in retail or food service, uh, you're, you're probably not working at home, depending on your role. Uh, so that's been pretty much stable. Uh, clearly, there have been reductions in force. That is continuing. It's a minority of organizations, certainly. You can see the hiring freeze go down a little bit uh, for the last couple of months. But it's interesting to note that uh, some organizations, anyway, are starting to acquire uh, new employees. And those organizations, I would suggest, are probably uh, better run, have a better perspective or a better handle on their business, and arguably are uh, performance management users. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's two angles on, on this slide that I see is, is the, 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 the second data point there on the left, which is we've reduced our workforce. Interestingly, it's probably bigger businesses that were able to, to hold on to their workforce for a period of time as they were able to um, absorb the ambush for a little longer uh, than maybe some of the smaller organizations and, and obviously them uh, making those changes later than, than smaller organizations. And, and potentially some of those smaller organizations that made changes earlier are seeing the recovery for their industry happen faster and, and therefore that's what they're potentially uh, acquiring those new employees back again. Um, but, you know, definitely an, an interesting um, kind of dichotomy between those two charts there on the, on the second on the left and second on the right. Yeah, and we had seen that as well, that at least initially larger organizations were less impacted than smaller organizations. But you're right, small organizations, at least in theory, are better positioned to bounce back more quickly just simply because of their size and their ability mm -hmm. to move quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So another question we asked them is uh, improvement, general improvement in business conditions, whether or not things have improved or worsened or whether they're stable. And so we can see some shifting here. Uh, more folks than the last, well, certainly from April, saying that conditions have improved. And that's certainly encouraging. However, the stability has been the stability line or bar has been stable for the last two months. And fewer are saying that conditions have worsened. So to me, this is one of the most encouraging signs in terms of people's sentiment as to how this is impacting the business. Absolutely. And is there any anecdotal evidence that you receive through the, the survey that talks about why people are seeing that improvement at all? Well, I think that they've done what they had to do. They've, you know, reduced the force as necessary uh, where they had to. They may have reduced or reallocated budgets, but they now have a sense of, you know, what the, pardon the expression, the new normal is. Mm -hmm. So they know which businesses are continuing to do well and sustain them and which ones are not. And uh, they, you know, may even be in a position of bringing people back. So I think that Depending, of course, on the industry, uh, some industries are, you know, obviously not in as good a shape as others, but a lot of them, and certainly on average, uh, they're seeing not things to return to normal, but uh, things stabilize. They understand what needs to be done and can start to move forward given those uh, constraints. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad we were go able to go about nine nine minutes into this uh, into this conversation before we said uh, one of those words, but. Uh... Uh, good good no, job. Sorry. <laughs> uh, there, there are so many hackneyed phrases now in terms, like, you know, but it's hard to avoid them because they're reasonably descriptive and, 
and people at least think they know. What yeah, they, they very much are. So, so what are people predicting? I know this slide is is kind of a, a bit of a prediction slide from your audience about when we may well, return to a new or uh, or return to normal. Yeah, so this is just about people's opinions and their attitudes. And of course, everybody wishes things would quote unquote get better faster. We would really like to have this you know behind us as quickly as possible. Uh, but in April, more folks were saying, well, it's going to last three to four months. That shifted a little bit to, you know, people are feeling perhaps a little bit more optimistic in May. And then if we, you know, go to June, it's largely the same, although five to six months is definitely up a bit. Mm. And uh, I think that the bottom line is nobody really knows uh, where, when things will truly uh, get better. They can get stable, and I suppose that's better in a sense, but this is not going to be behind us uh, anytime soon. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it'll get back to normal for me when daycares start to open back up again and uh, my three young kids <laughs> well, can, uh, can go back to daycare. Uh, well, we've started to, uh, you know, lots of our relationships now are, you know, are managed uh, virtually. So, you know, we, as analysts, we spend a lot of time traveling around the world and going to various events. And why wow, that stopped in February. My last trip was in February. And yeah. so uh, I'm not sure when that'll start again, but very possibly not this year, but I look forward to it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited to get back traveling again. I, uh, I unfortunately was uh, meant to be in Italy at the end of August for a wedding and uh, July next year it is. So there's the, there's the business impact from the wedding industry in, uh, in Italy. So let's talk there about the virtual weddings. So a lot of virtual weddings going on now. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So let's talk about the uh, the impact of COVID nineteen on the on the planning slash EPM space. Yeah, you bet. So the first slide is one of my favorites uh, because uh, once again, looking at that data, asking folks uh, whether or not they've been impacted uh, by the coronavirus, and those uh, and crossing that with EPM users, and it turns out that EPM users uh, were, or at least telling us that they were less impacted by COVID nineteen. And if you go uh, to the right, you look at those that are evaluating or those that might use EPM in the future and those that say they won't use EPM in the future, the numbers get worse. Now, what does this really mean? Well, I think that EPM usage is a proxy for being a well-run organization. And well-run organizations, although they certainly are all impacted, I don't think there's any way not to be impacted by it, but they're able to better manage it because they could figure out the scope and the impact more quickly and they could adjust their plans and execute against those uh, more quickly than those that don't use EPM and uh, planning systems. Yeah, so as a, as a vendor in this space, uh, we certainly saw a huge increase in, uh, in the usage of our application, both in number of users and number of hours in the application during the kind of March, April, May periods. And, and frankly, a really different type of usage, a lot of ad hoc analysis, what if scenario planning, a lot of kind of, you know, what we call dynamic planning, but other people would call modeling, um, really, really um, drastically increased as, uh, as people were trying to assess and triage what may happen and build forecasts for different scenarios. And it was really interesting to see and talk to users through that period as they, they kind of said, well, I don't know how I would have managed without a system. And they were able to build more and more models and more and more plans and scenarios that, uh, that those without the, um, without the technology probably were, were really just coming up with one or two models, you know, okay and bad. 
<laughs> my uh, and, and we didn't ask any of the non-EPM users what they were using, but my fear is they were probably using spreadsheets to do uh, what they were doing, and obviously that that's insufficient. Uh, yeah. th that has an impact on the business. It has their impact on their ability to cope with the changing market around them. And, and I think it delays their, their phasing into the regroup and recovery um, as they're not able to, um, you know, business is continuous, right? And, you know, these changes, I, I think, you know, COVID-19 was, was an accelerator. But prior to that, if we think about what was happening in, in December, you know, we had um, uh, trade wars, tariff changes that were impacting, you know, huge numbers of businesses. And that was changing on a, on a biweekly basis. And, and then, you know, we, we add in a pandemic in the middle of the mix and, you know, many organizations probably feel like they've been in this analysis and scenario planning mode for a long time. And, and, and they need to, you know, step back and get that fresh air really, and, and take that time to, to probably implement planning and EPM. But it's also worth noting that those that have experience in developing multiple scenarios and doing the modeling, it's sort of like exercise, right? You know, if mm -hmm. you, you know, if you work out and your muscles are toned, uh, you, you know, you can, you know, better deal with any physical challenges. The same thing is true with EPM. If you're adept in scenarios and modeling and planning, then if something, you know, really impactful comes along, like the coronavirus, well, those muscles are already ready. And yeah. They're already practiced. They're already, uh, you know, uh, adept at dealing with those sorts of uh, changes. And so that's why I'm saying it's, it's a proxy for a well-run organization. Uh, absolutely. One of the, uh, one of the things a uh, athletic instructor that uh, I utilize, thankfully I, I've got a machine downstairs that has helped me keep fit during this pandemic, uh, they talk about what, what they call as frequency, duration, and intensity. You know, frequency being the thing that you need to do the most to stay fit or get fit. Um, as you then start to do that, if you need to increase that, then you dial up the, the, uh, the duration, right? So you go from a 30-minute workout to a 60-minute workout. And then if that doesn't respond to any changes, then you start dialing up the intensity, uh, I certainly feel like the intensity has been up at 12 for a long time, <laughs> uh, you know, out of 10. And, uh, you know, we're starting to see that kind of not dial back to, to, to a five or a six, but, you know, that, that intensity is dialing back and some of the duration, you know, the work hours that people are putting in is also starting to dial back. Um, and, and, and that has been evidenced by a lot of the data that you've presented today. Well, let's keep looking. So here is one of the, you know, the early impacts of the coronavirus on uh, planning. And you can see that cash flow, I mean, that's the first thing you worry about, right, in a situation like this, you know, cash flow. And what do we have to do to maintain, uh, you know, a cash flow positive environment? And so you can see in February, it was, uh, I mean, it's always important, right? Don't get me wrong, but, you know, it was sort of a mix of uh, critical and important. And then you can see in March, uh, the criticality increased a little bit. And then look at April, it just shot right through. And yeah. uh, in a 42, 43% thing, it's critical. And, uh, and then you can see in May, it's starting to even out again, still really important. If we combine uh, the criticality and very important, you can see it's still very, very high. But, you know, once again, to your point, regrouping, settling in, understanding the, the ground rules, if you will, for the mm -hmm. new environment and maybe a little bit less pressure now on cash flow now that we made all of the necessary adjustments 
uh, that we had to make, and of course, you're constantly having to remodel, replan, and uh, and adjust as necessary because you know clearly we're not through this, but uh, those muscles have been getting flexed, and so now we're a little bit more comfortable with the steps that we might need to take as things continue to be uh, fluid. Yeah, absolutely. The other interesting stat I'm seeing here is the not important stat in April. I mean, everyone realized that it was important. Uh, you know, that's an amazing shift where, you know, I think you've got three to 3% roughly each month saying that it's not important. And, and in, uh, in April, that, that absolutely went away. As, uh, as people made those necessary changes, things like, you know, deferring payment plans, asking for payment relief and, and setting those new policies uh, in, in place. And that's obviously then translated through to May where uh, they're getting back to the, the new normal. Right. And once again, it'll be interesting once we have more data to see how that goes. So once again, those of you that are listening to this podcast at covidbusinessimpact.com, fill out a survey and so that we can keep this going and see how things are changing. And then, uh, likewise, looking at headcount, salary, and comp, uh, you know, you can see once again the peak impact here. So in February, it's you know once again still critical and very important. It, the criticality shoots up in March, and it's still pretty high in April. And then look at May, it starts to settle down again. And mm -hmm. so once again, everyone has gone through the process through that knothole, as we say. Uh, doing whatever they had to do, whether it was a reduction in force or uh, perhaps reducing hours, reducing compensation. Many organizations did that as well instead of uh, RIFs or in addition to RIFs. And now they're at a point where things are stable once again. They have the workforce that they need for this period of time, and they can start looking forward again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's pretty indicative of all the data that you've shown so far. So really interesting stuff there. Yeah, and it's, once again, it's painting a reasonably positive or a more positive, not positive, but a more <laughs> positive, somewhat more positive uh, picture than where we were in March or April, certainly. Okay, so let's just change gears, if that's okay with you, Rowan, and just talk about looking at uh, sort of a preview of our upcoming EPM report, which comes out next Tuesday, uh, for those that, that are marking on their calendars and just look at what's changed since 2019. I think by the time this podcast goes live, Howard, it, it would have been out already. So uh, probably out for a day. So for those listening, okay. go, go, go and get uh, Howard's report. Uh, you'll probably find it on planful.com. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> so if we look at just uh, from last year, and we've been covering the EPM space in our reports for six years now. And so it's, uh, we've got lots of data. We're, we're all about our data. And so what's interesting and what's uh, reassuring is that those that say that they're using EPM has actually jumped a bit in uh, 2020. And those that are evaluating or maybe will use EPM in the future or aren't going to use EPM in the future, those numbers all dropped. So those numbers all shifted to the left, which uh, you know obviously we think is really encouraging. We think all organizations should be using performance management and planning. It's, uh, it should be the norm uh, across all functions as well. So we're making progress, Rowan. It's, uh, it's a good story. Good. I'm happy to see. And I think, you know, the one thing that we, uh, you know, when I talk to, to organizations about is, um, you know, during that ambush phase, that inability to respond as quickly as uh, organizations wanted 
really shone a light on, uh, on, on the office of the CFO and, and their ability to respond to something that was so drastic. I mean, not just, um, not just the, uh, the impact on the business, but also everyone shifting to remote work. And I know you've done a lot of cloud computing surveys as well. Has that shift in terms of, uh, you know, on-premise versus cloud uh, changed at all? Uh, very significantly. So cloud, we've been tracking cloud for a decade now, and we've seen it, you know, adoption grow in almost linear fashion. And when we hit April and May, it, it just shot through the roof. All of a sudden, organizations looking to move to software as a service and to the cloud because, all right, historically you might have, you know, hundreds of people dialing in via a VPN to your, you know, on-prem systems. And now all of a sudden, like you said, Ron, everyone's at home. So you might have thousands of people um, trying to dial in via VPN. It's just it, the systems can't sustain it. It's just not uh, not possible or practical, and you don't have the staff to manage it either. And so moving to the cloud has definitely shown up in the data as a priority for many organizations, not just small organizations, really across the board. Yeah, absolutely. And I probably even for for the, some of the smaller organizations, it's uh, it's the it's the fast track service for them as well, right? They don't need to do any of that heavy IT. They don't have the IT infrastructure to even uh, to even move there. So, really interesting insight there. Well, many of the small organizations were already there. Uh, they they never considered on-prem systems. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so if we look at, just looking at those folks that said in the future they would consider adoption, uh, you can see that the timeframes have moved in to closer timeframes uh, or earlier timeframes. So mm -hmm. from last year, 6% said they were going to adopt this year. Now it's 12%. And if you go all the way to the right, those that said they will adopt beyond next year, that's actually dropped. So there's, there's a sense of greater immediacy. Now, granted, some of the COVID uh, factor is in this data and the impact is in this data uh, because we were collecting data uh, really up into uh, you know to may or so and so some of that is uh, definitely built into this i suspect if you if you potentially polled uh petite people and organizations later this year that uh as people uh, have entered that regroup phase and they've done the assessment you know like the the post ambush assessment they would actually start to see that you know this capability was something that prevented them from moving, uh, moving to to recovery faster, and and we may even see this increase again uh, towards the end of the year. Uh, that's certainly something that I hear from the marketplace a lot. Is, is as I said before, you know, it shone a light in our ability to to do that replanning, reforecasting really quickly, and have multiple scenarios. And, and I certainly expect. Many of those organizations are still in, in, in kind of ambush triage mode and haven't really gone to that. Let me, let me do a, 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 a post-mortem, if you will, uh, of what happened and how we can learn from that experience. Yeah, this is a wake-up call for sure for organizations, and I'm hoping it sticks and that more organizations adopt uh, performance management as a result and really view it as something uh, both uh, urgent and strategic in nature, mm -hmm. and that that doesn't that doesn't cease once things uh, settle down, because it is something that you know long term is necessary for the organization. And, and sorry, I'm sorry to say, but as a result, I think some organizations won't survive uh, mm -hmm. simply because they just can't get their arms around the dynamics of the business and manage accordingly. 
Yeah, the well-run businesses are already there, and and if you're not there, then then you may not uh, you, the winners and losers. You may not be in the winners category. Well, what some organizations have told me is that the, a lot of their competitors are ripe for the picking, and you know, mm-hmm. that they're you know they're desperate, and so they'll be able to buy share as a result of these less well-run competitors. Yeah, super interesting. Uh, I also like to put this up here because some people, certainly ERP vendors, go out there and say, well, you should adopt our platform. It all integrates with your other data. And uh, the, the users and the consumers of the technology are saying, mm, no, that's not really what we're doing, that we really want a you know, best-of-breed, dedicated EPM vendor that can integrate with our ERP, certainly, uh, but is not our ERP. And you can see that that actually has, that sentiment has increased year over year. And uh, so just, you know, certainly there are some folks that really want to go with the ERP vendor, but they are really in the minority. And I personally am a big fan of best of breed. I think it, uh, it gives you a greater control of your destiny. That's, that's one man's opinion. And would, um, would Howard, you, you say that's the same as, as uh, you know, planning or EPM versus BI? Uh, I know, you know, the way that I, I perceive BI is a, is a view of the past and ERP is almost a, a view of the transactional and the now and, and you know, EPM and, and planning being a view of the future. It, it, would this be indicative of the same categorization there? I, you know, I would still strongly advocate for, be, advocate for best of breed simply because you have a dedicated set of resources on that functionality. Mm-hmm. And when you have a massive organization, uh, you know, a large player, nothing wrong with them, but they have to allocate resources uh, more evenly across the entire enterprise. And so if that vendor is more focused on infrastructure or something like that, then some of these other capabilities may not get the requisite investment and may not evolve as quickly as a best-of-breed solution can or should. Yeah, and then you don't get the strategic impact that we just talked about, right? You don't, you don't get to, to be that high-performing organization that can take advantage of, uh, of a crisis. Uh, you know, there's a, as they always say, there's opportunity in crisis, and, and many organizations that uh, are well-run are, are seeing that opportunity now. And also with a you know with the best of breed player, it's uh, they're more accessible, and you have more impact on what they do and more influence on what they do. And when you need help, you're much more likely to uh, you know find a resource that's going to be able to help you than if you you know had to call a help desk of an organization that has hundreds of thousands of employees. Yeah. So not that there's anything wrong with those large players. You know they certainly there's a lot of it they of good that they do in terms of platform and infrastructure. Uh, but uh, when you're looking at specific functionality like EPM, uh, best of breed, I think, you know, is the ideal uh, way to go. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about some other fun stuff. AI, right? Everybody wants to talk about AI and machine learning, and, you know, everybody wants to brand it now, you know, improved with AI on <laughs> their packaging. And I should note that things like machine learning and AI are not new. <laughs> They're not new. Um, some routines like machine learning, some of that, which is what we call it now, um, predates computers. Mm-hmm. All right, that'll be our secret. Um, <laughs> so the, the, no, the notion of using statistics, you know, descriptive statistics and inferential statistics, it's math, folks. Yeah. And math is also not new. Nevertheless, uh, because of the volumes of data these days and our ability or system's ability to process that data much more quickly than ever before, these technologies have become far more feasible than ever before. And uh, 
So they are showing up in lots of tools and applications, and organizations are leveraging them. As it uh, applies to EPM um, and finance in particular, if we could single out finance, they're a much more conservative group. And so things are changing slowly, not unlike cloud, right? Because early on, finance uh, were not as uh, strongly advocating for cloud-based deployment. That's changed. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so there's a greater comfort level, and I think AI will be the same way, especially once again, you know, finance people are very, being very conservative, and because you know you may be a you know a publicly held firm, obviously there are lots of regulations around what you do. You want to be able to verify and know for sure that an algorithm is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And so being able to audit uh, and interrogate those things and understand them is really important. And that's why you see some of the sentiment that you do, uh, you know, the positive, the folks saying that's going to have a positive impact has increased to 31% versus 29%, and that's certainly encouraging. But I wouldn't call it a watershed event. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, my, um, my perception of some of the, the, this is that, um, you know, if I look at other departments in a, in a business, you know, you've got sales operations teams that have sales technologists that are really digitally native. You've got marketing operations. And, you know, if you look at Scott Brinker's Mar MarTech slide every oh, yeah. year, that's, that's going crazy, right? And, and what you're seeing in response to some of that is the, the digitally native um, technologists uh, in other departments are bringing that capability and that skill set. Um, to their to their departments within the organization and and finance has funded that top line growth by investing in those tools and technologies and uh, and and finance have left themselves a little bit behind they haven't had the opportunity to invest in themselves whether that's through technology but also skilled digitally native technologists you know I've never seen the term finance technologist on a LinkedIn profile but I certainly see it in, in marketing departments in sales departments and uh, I, I think you know potentially one of the things to come out of this pandemic is that finance will realize that they they missed out uh, in in some of those investments and and as we pri reprioritize the way that uh, you know frankly top line growth may not be the uh, the key weapon for a little while as we look in, in this future of uncertainty, finance may start adopting more and more technology and a ripple effect of that will be this adoption of AI as, um, as vendors, frankly, are, are also playing catch up against the, uh, the other business departments. And increasingly, advanced functionality is finding its way into EPM, mm -hmm. uh, whether, you know, whether they realize it or not, they may choose not to turn it on. So I think it's a comfort level too. I think over time, uh, education will prevail and the comfort level will increase and some of those features will start to get turned on, which I think ultimately is, is a good thing. If we can make finance more productive as a result of doing that, uh, then I think that ultimately uh, they'll, you know, adoption will start to ensue. Absolutely. Uh, this particular chart just basically says that EPM is spreading and that's good within the organization. Obviously, finance dominates it, 60%. Uh, said that you know, finance are the primary users of uh, the technology. But if you go across you know, operations, certainly, even IT, sort of surprising, but you know, IT are users at, really across the board. And I mean, my personal opinion is, and I've talked about something I call information democracy for many years, but I think everybody has a role 
as it relates to performance management as well. We all need to plan together. We all need to execute together because ultimately uh, all of our jobs are to align with the mission and the strategy of the organization. And if you don't, if you don't plan around that, uh, I don't see how you do that effectively. Certainly not as an, a single organism. Maybe you know within particular functions you might be able to do that, but that's suboptimal for the enterprise. Yeah, uh, what we we talk about a lot is uh, you know getting out to all corners of the business, and you're starting to see this happen now um, through your 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 data. But also once you're able to do that, and in a finance-led modality where finance can go and help the business understand what these KPIs and these strategic you know decisions can help them outperform their competition, then ultimately you're able to, uh, you know, what we say is elevate the financial IQ of the organization. And, uh, you know, we're, we're starting to see some of those trends now through your data here that, that organizations are adopting outside the Office of Finance. And hopefully that leads to, to those organizations that are doing that outperform their competitors as well, which I, I believe would be the end goal. Yes, exactly. I mean, as long as those organizations see it as vital to their own success, then I think it will prevail, as long as they don't view it as a tax. Yeah, exactly. All right, uh, just a couple of things. We can go through these quickly. Just looking at the things like uh, budgeting and planning frequency, changing a little bit. The annual budget still is king, but some shifting there too in favor of weekly and quarterly, so uh, perhaps uh, shorter time frames, which is uh, ultimately we talk about rolling forecasts, which is ideal, but Obviously, looking and replanning on a regular basis, especially given the fluid nature of the world we're living in, is uh, is ideal. And then, taking a look at the shift in forecasting frequency, no surprise there, right? Uh, we are, you know, forecasting is moving away from those, you know, annual, biannual, or quarterly periods to monthly, weekly, and a little bit of daily as well. So I'm not sure who's for, for forecasting on a daily basis. I'm not sure how actionable that is, but. You know, monthly, weekly, sure, that makes that makes uh, sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. What used to become a quarterly decision is now monthly, and what was monthly is now weekly. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure too many organizations have jumped from weekly to daily, but, uh, <laughs> yes. Well, I'm not sure what verticals there are, but there, I'm sure there are specific verticals where that makes sense. Absolutely. And then rolling forecasts, one of my favorite topics, right? Uh, instead of doing a 12-month forecast, you know, constantly, I mean, you might use a 12-month uh, time frame, but always including or shifting it by a month uh, every time you reforecast. I think ultimately that's healthy, especially once again, uh, given the dynamic situation that we're living in and the fact that our, our plans are, are changing on a, a very a rapid basis. And so you can see that there is, I have another slide in, in a moment, which is really cool, but uh, just going from 2019 to 2020, you see a shift of organizations using rolling forecasts as their dominant approach uh, to, you know, to budgeting. And then you see another shift as well, those that use it as sort of an adjunct uh, to traditional budgeting and planning, uh, going from 47 to 50. And the other buckets are going down, which is exactly what we would hope for. Yeah, yeah, it's an amazing change in, in trend. Uh, you know, people are moving more to that continuous planning mindset, making sure that they've got that forward-looking insight. And I, and I suspect, again, how this is probably the same group of folks that are starting to get outside the office of finance because you can't move to a rolling forecast if you don't have the data from other business units and, and people aren't thinking that far ahead. Absolutely, I agree with you. But look at this slide. The next slide is the one that's really cool. Wow. <laughs> look from February to June. 
Uh, nobody, there were none in the two uh, buckets to the right. So those that say we don't currently use it, uh, you know, they just disappeared in June. Now granted, a slightly different sample for sure, but I think it tells us something. It tells us that organizations are not only embracing rolling forecasts, but they start to incorporate them even if they have more dated uh, approaches uh, to annual budgets. And so that's really encouraging, and you know that's going to flow to the left. You know, they start using it as an adjunct, they understand how to do it, they see the benefits associated with it, and then it displaces the more traditional uh, planning process. As you talked about muscle building before, people will be building that muscle of a rolling forecast and then they'll, uh, you know, they'll get stronger and stronger at it and uh, it'll, become, it'll become their, um, their just habitual way of working. And, and I don't think we've ever had this sort of a disruptive event. We've had disruptive events, things like 9-11 and the economy and other issues, but this one has been so far reaching mm. and I think it's really forced organizations to think deeply about how they run the business and how they measure the business and how they monitor the business. So I, I'm hopeful that it sticks and that when the next disruptive event comes along, the next black swan, as they would say, that organizations uh, will be better prepared than they were uh, for this one. I, I think the difference with this one potentially is that, uh, you know, everyone's very scared of the second wave, right? And, and so there's this immediate slash near-term um, horizon, you know, horizon one, where people are like, will this happen again? You know, traditionally, when we've seen, you know, economy shifts, everyone understands that it's going to take a while to rebuild and, and it's likely to happen again, but it's, you know, a horizon, you know, a, a few horizons out than, than what we're feeling right now, which is, oh my God, this may happen really quickly. It could, right, right. We don't know what the cycle time's going to be yet. And so I'm hopeful that, at least from this perspective, we'll see improvement. Yeah. All right, so I have a few observations and then some recommendations, and then we can, you know, talk a little bit about that. Uh, we don't know when, you know, this current pandemic is going to end. Uh, things do seem to be improving, at least from uh, organizations and how they're feeling about it. And uh, we do believe that EPM users and companies are less impacted. Uh, we're happy to see that adoption is up. We ultimately, I mean, I've been talking about EPM for a really, really long time. And uh, we're starting to see broader adoption. That's good. Uh, specialized vendors versus ERP vendors. You know, we also think best of breed is good. Uh, machine learning and AI certainly have their place. They're, you know, that's going to expand inevitably. And I think that through education and some adoption. I think uh, just like cloud uh, finance, will become more comfortable with it over time. It's not going to be overnight, but certainly over time, they'll see the value of that. And then we see, you know, forecast frequency and rolling forecasts uh, increasing, and that's uh, certainly a positive. Okay, on to some recommendations. <laughs> uh, use your EPM system. <laughs> that's the bottom line. But not just, you know, how you have been using it, and certainly it's been helping. EPM has certainly helped those users for things like cash flow and working capital, as well as headcount and comp, uh, but also use the scenario management capabilities if you haven't already, right? So you want to make sure that you're constantly updating your plans, thinking through multiple scenarios, so that you can be prepared for whatever the outcome is, whatever that is, right? The second wave, government incentives, uh, anything that we may not have anticipated uh, before. Um, and, you know, look at those areas that are most likely to recover as things improve, and you want to make sure that you can invest accordingly. Unless you have an EPM system, it'd be hard to know that. 
Uh, mm-hmm. So you, you want to make sure that you create your plans uh, based on those findings. Yeah, and I would say the, the other big thing here, how it is even prior to this pandemic, um, business was changing rapidly, right? And, and that pace will, will not change. I mean, we've got an election this year, so that may change, you know, rules and regulations for many organizations. And, uh, and, you know, the, the trade wars and, and uh, economic shifts uh, are just going to keep coming uh, in, the, in the current climate. So uh, not just from a pandemic perspective, but from what's been happening in the world, um, you know, this is a true black swan event, I'm sure we'll all agree. But even prior to that, some of these, you know, gray swans, if you will, have, uh, have been coming along and, uh, and really changing the, the, the way that we need to, to operate our organizations. And, and as we just discussed earlier, organizations that, that were prepared or, or at least more prepared, uh, it's probably a better way of uh, describing that, were able to, to, to navigate this, this really difficult situation uh, in, in a more um, proactive way uh, or re, you know, faster reaction, frankly. Right, and we've been talking about things like scenario planning for a long time, and not enough organizations really do it or do it well. And it's really important to go through that exercise and then revise those things, and it's not something that should be isolated to a particular individual or function. It's really something that all senior management needs to take part in. Uh, so that you understand as a particular scenario is starting to unfold, you know what your action plan ought to be. Absolutely. And so, right, so one last piece of recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, basically, make better use of your EPM software. If you have EPM in place, make sure you're using it to its fullest of capabilities. If there are modules that you're not uh, currently using, consider using those things. Uh, so you see things like cash flow forecasting, strategy management, and certainly rolling forecasts. And so anything that you're not using that makes sense for you to use, you should reach out to your EPM provider and put those things in place, get them up to speed. And, and then finally, <laughs> Make sure you're not using spreadsheets. <laughs> I mean, I know it's, you know, it's, it's, everybody says that we've been saying it for years and everybody uses spreadsheets because they're there. Uh, but, you know, spreadsheets, certainly in the context of what's going on in the world right now, uh, probably are not going to help you. Then it's not an enterprise tool. Uh, you might want to use them in conjunction with your EPM tool. Okay, sure. Uh, but uh, EPM capabilities are going to be uh, far superior to anything that you'd be able to do with, uh, you know, some, uh, spreadsheets technology. Well, absolutely. So, Howard, that's uh, that's an amazing set of data, and uh, I, I'd love to have you on the on the show again in another few months and see how things have changed. Uh, that's oh, for be sure. great. I'd love that. Uh, I'm sure it would be uh, would be an interesting conversation. We'll have more data for, by then for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so, one thing I uh, I, I like to to ask guests on the show is. Um, you know, it's the final question of, of the, the, the podcast is, is what does being planful mean to you? Being planful, planful just means thinking deeply about the future. Uh, that's, that's really, and of course, then turning that into the requisite plans to execute based upon that. But we don't think about the future not uh, enough. And certainly during, a, you know, a black swan event like a pandemic, uh, it brings you way down at the base of Maslow's hierarchy. So we very much focus on the here and now and survival. And, uh, but uh, thinking about the future is really important. And uh, I know there are lots of books that have been written about it and lots of scenario uh, books as well. But that's what being planful uh, means to me, thinking about the future 
and then turning that into uh, plans that uh, could be activated uh, should a particular future start to unfold. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you, Howard, for, for coming on the Being Planful show. And uh, thanks to our audience for listening. Uh, for those of you who are listening that do want to participate in Howard's study, it's uh, covidbusinessimpact.com, I believe. Howard, is that correct? That's correct, Rowan. All right. We'll have, a, we'll have a link in the video. And, and thanks, everyone, for listening. And thanks again, Howard, for joining us. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for stopping by.